Yes, welcome back and welcome to episode number 52 of the Stick to Hockey podcast. Yeah, we're back. We're not that tan. Uh, no. Russ Cohen at Sportsology on Twitter, sportsology.com. Uh, at Jason Mert on Twitter, at Stick to Hockey Pod on Twitter. Give it a follow. Uh, give us a rating and a review. But we are finally back. Russ, good to see you. Yeah, yeah, same here. I brought my own tea this time. And I do owe you a sandwich. At some point, I'm going to have to bring you a, you'll have to place an order. But I do owe you from last year, unless we double or nothing it this year. Yeah, maybe we can do that. And maybe I'll never see that sandwich. We'll see how it plays <laughs> out. Um, but, but it's good to be back. We took a nice break. Uh, the hockey world pretty much took a break as well. There's been some little dribs and drabs of news coming in uh, over around the league over the past couple of weeks. But really the big news, I think it's kind of funny because I was thinking about it, guys like you know Bob McKenzie and Elliot Friedman and Dreger and all these guys that break these huge National Hockey League stories. And when they left to go on vacation and uh, go to the cottages or whatever, uh, a lot of RFAs weren't signed and really none are signed since. Yeah, not a lot. And so nobody interrupted their vacation. No, it, it's an it's a weird market. Like I honestly think Mitch Marner will be the last. So of the forwards. Mm-hmm. So if you think that another contract is going to affect the Marner signing, I don't think it will. Now Ivan Provorov, same thing. I think he will be last because he's had his feet dug in ever since the Hextall days. So I just have a feeling he's waiting for Wawrenski and everybody else, and then the, and then he'll go. So so does he get paid commiserate? Like does he get? an equal contract to Wawrenski or McAvoy? Depends what they get. Like, that's, you know, mm-hmm. I think, though, he'll get something close. I, I think McAvoy will sign first because I think Boston is in a really bad spot with Carlo and McAvoy unsigned. Yeah. They've got to get at least one of them in. They can't start the, – if they start the season with both of them not ready to go, that would be disastrous. Yeah, it's a catastrophic way to begin a season. And we saw the effects of what happens when an RFA – not only dips into training camp, but dips into the regular season, and in Michael Nylander's case, all the way to December 1st. Yeah, and the Zurich Lions, and i got to tell you, I, I I really dislike what the Zurich Lions put out on Twitter, mm-hmm. tagging Marner, saying, well, you, we spoke to his European agent, and we're going to see about him practicing here, and we'll sort of let you know, and then he, you know, he puts a hashtag like Leafs and a hashtag Marner, and it's like, Literally, they don't have any information, so why are you stoking the fires here? It's just like... Looking for publicity in a but, but But it's a franchise, yeah. right? A franchise shouldn't do that. No. I get it if it's some marketable product that's looking... This guy, at best, is going to practice with them. So yeah, it's a product like Buzz Off. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. But, I mean, at best, he's going to practice with them. So maybe you'll get a few extra people at the practice rank, drinking a few things, eating a few things. But you're not selling jerseys. You're not. He's not signing with the team. Mm-hmm. I, I just I didn't like the way that was rolled out. Well, there's a lot to be left to be desired when it comes to this Marner situation. Oh, yeah. it, it's gotten a little ugly. It, it, I don't think it's at a point of disrepair. No. And it's not a point of divorce, but... The longer this goes, and you know the Leafs and Kyle Dubas know firsthand the problem that this causes. Oh and, yeah, I mean, and they're in a situation too where they got a couple LTIR contracts they're dealing with, so they have a lot of variables. And that's a team looking to take the next step. They hardly need this kind of distraction when they need to be a team that is good all year and moves past the second round, right? The first round, I right? Say. I, I mean, if if it were me and I were running the team, I actually would give a drop dead date. To Marner, like, hey, first week of camp, if we don't see you and we're getting ready to start preseason and you're not there, 
We're not negotiating. And you put three variable contracts on the table. That's it. Here, here's the short term, the really short term. Here yeah. is the four-year bridge, and here is the long term. Because we can't Tech have line. what happened last year. We yeah. just can't do it. It's too detrimental. It's too detrimental at too important of a time for that team, and we'll see how that plays out. And Braden Point, same thing. Line A, apparently there's a meeting scheduled uh, for his representation to sit down in but Winnipeg. He, but even before Line A, because something else hit, like the one thing that I disagree with with a lot of this process and what we're hearing from different people, you can't put Marner on equal footing with Austin Matthews. You can't. No. And for a lot of different reasons. He's a winger. Winger is a start. <laughs> but he is a playmaking winger, right? Mm-hmm. So so he is a little unusual and a little better than most. But Matthews has to play defensive hockey. Marner doesn't really have to play the same kind of hockey. Matthews has to bang in and crash in the crease. He's got to take face-offs against top guys in the league. Yep. Battling over puck possession, I don't want to say Marner's job is easier, but it is but it's a, easier. But it is easier. <laughs> yeah, like it is, and so pay can never be commensurate. It, yeah. it just can't. And you can't say, well, he's led the Leafs in scoring the past two seasons. Doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. That that is not the center's not job is a lot more than just that. Yeah, and and you look and you say, well, they give Tavares eleven million dollars. Why not give it to him? But Tavares is also in a, was a free agent. Correct. This is a restricted situation. But it's it's been the story of the summer, and it's still not solved. No, and it's not just solved. And, and you know what the moral Toronto, of this story is? Anytime a family member who's not like a professional agent is sort of involved, yeah, it's look never out. a good idea. Look out, big time! And then you look at the other part of the situation too. And many teams are dealing with it. The team that got off the best here is clearly the Hurricanes. Because yeah. of the offer that Montreal, the sheet that they put on. Except with the New Jerseys. Mm. Yeah, except for the New Jerseys. You're right. I mean, if, if your vision's not great, you could see the big block letters. That's fantastic. Yeah. But didn't we learn from the bolts that this doesn't work? Well, the thing <laughs> is, too, is their owner, when they would come to opposing buildings, would ask to wear their dark jersey because he hated their lights. Right. And a lot of times teams would capitulate and, and they would, you know, whatever. But... And, and that's what they came up with? I know. It's like, And then Don Waddell you know, goes out and interviews for the Minnesota job, and then he's back. It's like, what's going on in well, Carolina? you know, he, he gave Don the freedom to look around. But I will tell you this. Uh, Leopold in Minnesota, by interviewing and talking to Don Waddell, gave Don Waddell a better contract with his sure. team. Because yep. I don't know if Waddell would, would get a three-year deal, right? Yeah. I don't think he would have gotten three years if he didn't look around. So actually, he did himself a favor. Yeah, no doubt about it. And that situation is still unresolved in Minnesota, and that was a bizarre one. With uh, Although Fenton we hear fired. Bill Guerin is possibly the leader, mm-hmm. and Bill Guerin right now, the thing that I always get on Bill Guerin for, he used to come on our, our show all the time, when we'd see him at the Wells Fargo, he loads up on popcorn, man. One show he did admit You were it. saying that one time. Yeah, man. yeah. And he admitted, he goes, look, I really like arena popcorn, and this is some of the best. Well, you got you got to scout players in arena, so that's a good, <laughs> good sign. Now, Ron Hextall was one of the guys that interviewed initially for the job, a couple of other big names. Uh, I, I don't know that Hextall is out of the mix yet. I have no idea, but I would think that his approach and his pseudo-similarities to Fenton from a personality standpoint, that owner thinks they can win now. No, he is ill-informed. Right. Because they can't. Um, I at, think— And they I, had Albatross contract. Honestly, though, I thought last year— if they didn't have the injuries they did, they could have competed. Because you saw at the end they were still Dumba. very close without Dumba and stuff. Yep. 
I think they really could have competed. Now I do think the window's closed, though. Yeah, I do too. And you have these albatross contracts with Parisi and Suter. Yeah. You bring in Zuccarello on a five-year deal. Yeah. It's like, what are we trying to be? Well, they're going to reboot, and they have some players. Look, getting Donato was good. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think that made him faster. He's still great on the power play. They're not going to trade Zucker now. Yeah. That's good. I think they have guys. Look. What do they do with Spurgeon? I don't know. I mean... He doesn't want to sign with the team is what I've heard because mm-hmm. he wants to see what's going to happen, which I if get. If it's a rebuild, he's in his prime. He wants to go somewhere and win. That's why I don't think it'll be deemed a rebuild, and I think they really need to reach out to Kaprizov and get him over here mm-hmm. if they can. If they can't, they need to trade his rights. They yeah. need to that This year, they need to decide that, and I would go over there once they have a GM and find out is he coming, or should we trade his rights? Because you can get a lot for trading yeah. him. He's he's the best player not playing in the NHL. Stock your pool, yeah. stock your prospects up, yeah. and and they're going to need that. And yeah. especially with some of these contracts that they got to deal with. But Hextall's a guy who wants to go with a patient approach, and I don't know that they can't. That, that that's that market's cards. not good for it right nope. now. The some of the players that they have, it's not good for it. They can't do a complete teardown. They just yeah. can't. And some of the issues that played Paul Fenton there uh, off the ice and behind the scenes. Are similar in nature to some of the issues that Ron Hextall had here. Yeah, yeah, I would say that. Okay, we'll leave it at that. Um, all right, so it is the Stick to Hockey podcast, episode 52. Kevin Hayes is in town. I saw uh, the Flyers put out Are some Are you pictures. sure? Yeah, he was at the Skate Zone. Okay, you saw out. him. Actually, actually, he left town last night. He was okay. in town and was working out here a little bit. Went back home, and he's going to, I guess, come back right But uh, you Day saw week. him. You confirmed it with your own. Okay. Alex Lyon was in the net. Okay. Wearing the Flyers jersey and the whole thing. So okay. Kevin Hayes is here. And there was a report that came out that uh, Frank Valley put out from uh, TSN um, when he was on a podcast, on the Snow the Goalie podcast at Crossing Broad, basically saying that he was told from someone that Kevin Hayes said he wouldn't sign with the Flyers <laughs> unless they overpaid him. Now, I'd like to just kind of clarify it. because, And I like Frank. Frank does a good job. Um but I think I think it was a little bit misrepresented in one sense. Did he say to somebody at some point, maybe, "Hey, they they traded for my rights, but they're gonna have to overpay me"? Well, of course, because you have a right that you've earned to get to free agency. So if you want me to waive that right to go to the open market, pick where I want to go, mm-hmm. go through the process, be pampered and presented, and all of those things, then of course, yeah, you're gonna have to pay a little more than that. Now, the confusing part is because if they were the Flyers were willing to go to that level of a contract, why make the trade for his rights? Because well, that was the, they would have got him anyway. That was the weird – well, no. I, you do want to trade for his rights so you can make sure you're getting them. Because mm-hmm. that was a need they identified. Because I think Frank even tweeted, why did they trade for his rights? No, you did trade for his rights so you would be the only ones negotiating. And knowing that you'd be the only ones negotiating, you would have to go higher. That's fine. They knew they needed that. It's like, you know, if you need a car, you know, you got to go get a car today. I mean, that's... But the the part that all of this other stuff, it's unconfirmed. Like, I know, hey, it's been reported, right? I wouldn't have reported it. Ryan Whitney reported, too, that he spoke directly to him. And he basically said he's was happy to play there, and it was a good situation for right. him. And then Frank answered, his best years. Yeah, yeah, and then Frank answered back, well, the night before, it wasn't that. And it's mm. like, okay, but, you know, like, at the end of the day, I wouldn't have reported it because it does really affect a player in a new city, and it got fans riled up, and it put a little bit of a cloud on it. And 
to Hayes' credit, he didn't answer it, and that's good. Yeah, yeah, and he, he's just going to go about his business and play hockey. Yeah. That's what he's getting paid and paid well to do, and we'll, we'll see how that plays out in both this season and going forward. Uh, Elaine Vigneault, now the coach uh, with the Flyers, Mike Yo and Michelle Tarion. It's been an active offseason, not only in Philadelphia, but around the league. I mean, you look at the, the, the revamping of teams in the division, some moving up in stock, some moving down. When you look at the Rangers and the Devils and all the moves, not even just the draft picks of drafting one, two, the Devils getting Hughes, the Rangers getting Kako, but they end up with, I mean, talk about what they gave up to get Jacob Truba, yep. to add that to your team, and then Panarin. Panarin, and then you look at you look at a team like the Devils adding And don't forget PK about, and you know, Kratzoff, Kratzoff's coming over, yeah. too. I mean, <laughs> yeah. And the fact that Panarin's there helps that to yeah. countrymen. And then you look at the situation in New Jersey. They've upgraded, but are are these teams good enough to compete for a playoff spot? What is Columbus going to be with all that loss from Bobrovsky and Panarin? Somehow they just find a way to continue to score goals, and we'll see how they do. Uh, can the Islanders sustain and take a, take a next step in year two of Barry Trotz? Uh, uh, Pittsburgh, I mean, there's a lot of issues there. Is Malkin going to have a bounce back year? I mean, he didn't have a bad year, so yes, the answer is yes. By his standards, though. He right, didn't have a great fine. year. They lose Kessel. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mar- I think that's a Mar- positive. The cup runs has been ordinary. I think losing Kessel at this point is a positive. Mm. I think they could be better defensively now when he's not there and on the ice, and I think they can make up the goals. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's the hor- most. It's the worst thing. Yeah, then you look at Carolina. But, and here, know, and the, and the X factor, right, but the X factor for Pittsburgh is what if Pierre-Olivier Joseph is ready to play mm-hmm. as a defenseman? He's a pretty talented offensive yeah. defenseman. So, I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. And then you still have those eggs in the Latang basket, too, which yeah. is very volatile at all times. Carolina, they lose McElhaney. They lose, they lose all their goaltending, essentially. Yeah. And you know, are they going to? I think I thought they wrote a lot of momentum with this whole thing with the jerks and all that. And, yeah, sure. And we'll see how that plays out. But I mean, I like their off season, but the goaltending is still in question. Yeah, the only the only team I feel like I have a good finger on, a good pulse on in the in the Metropolitan Division is the Caps, and I think they'll be good. Yeah, no, the Caps will be good, and even with the Rangers, we forgot about Adam Fox, and and I actually yep. like that Carolina just got Chase Prisky. I don't think he'll play right away, but what if like half season they trade Justin Falk? They can call up a Chase Prisky. I mean that. That's pretty good. I mean, he's yeah. you know, 22, 23 years old. That's good offensive defenseman. That that could be really good. Besides, they have Jake Bean coming up. Everything rides on their goaltending. Now, the, the thing is, there are so many talented Devils, teams. Too. And, yeah, and there's four or five of them that we're still going to be wondering about their goaltending. Yeah, and we see we saw last year firsthand in Philadelphia when you don't oh, have yeah. it what, it, what it can do to a team. All right, let's get to Travis Sanheim. He signed the uh, bridge contract earlier this offseason. Uh, he was one of the guys that got it done and got it done early to concentrate on preparing for a season, and he joins us right now on the Stick to Hockey podcast. Travis, how you doing? Not too bad. And you guys? Good. We're doing good, man. We're trying to uh, kind of wait the uh, the last moments of summer away, as I'm sure you are up in Brandon right now. Uh, how's the summer been, and uh, how you been training and getting ready for the season? Uh, it's been good. Um, it's been a nice time to get, get home and relax and, and spend some time with family and friends, but and saying that, it's definitely been, been a long summer, not one that uh, most hockey players enjoy in the sense that, uh, you know, going home in April is pretty uh, disappointing. And I think uh, guys are fired up to get back and get ready for for the upcoming season. Travis, last year you had a lot more responsibility and and therefore had more points, more just more of everything. At least if it was a long summer were you able to take that and know that, hey, my role's bigger this year, there's a lot, lot better things on the horizon 
Yeah, I mean, I uh, definitely, definitely liked where, where my game was headed last season and, and developing, but um, in saying that there, there's a new coaching staff and, and you know, everyone's going to have to come in and, and earn their job and, and their role. And um, so I think for me, it's, it's uh, you know, another start. And, uh, yeah, I got to continue that, that development curve that I was on last season. Well, last season you play all 82 games uh, for the team. There, there was no of this back and forth with the AHL and the NHL club. You solidified yourself as an NHL player right now. But uh, let's take it back to the earlier this summer. You, you had a contract. You were a restricted free agent. You opted for the two-year deal, uh, AAV, a 3.25, so two years, $6.5 million. What went into your thinking that you uh, you wanted to go with the uh, the bridge deal as opposed to a long-term? Yeah, um, you know, obviously it was, you know, we, we had, we had discussions and then back and forth and, um, you know, there was different sides to, to both scenarios. And I think it just made sense for, for both me and the club. And, um, you know, I, like I said before, my development, you know, I feel like I'm only, only going to be scratching the surface here. And, um, you know, I want to continue to get better and improve. And I think the two years allows me to do that and, and uh, sets myself up, um, you know, m- good moving forward. Travis, what uh, what NHLers did you maybe train with uh, this summer? Um, you know, there's uh, back home. There's actually quite a few. There used to never be uh, back in this area, and now there there seems to be quite a few. So uh, Ryan Pulak, who, who's a defenseman for mm-hmm. the New York Islanders, and then um, Matt Calvert uh, plays in Colorado, and and Michael Ferlin, who just signed a deal in, in Vancouver, uh, is here as well, and then uh, Jace Howerlick, who spent uh, half the season in, in Florida. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's a good group of us around here that uh, that are all at that next level, and uh, you know, it's nice to be able to train with with uh, those guys. Now, you've been in the league a couple of years, and like I mentioned before, you played all 82. Um, how have you kind of changed your training here to know what you need to do to be able to handle an NHL 82 game schedule? And how long were you off the ice for until you decided to actually get back on the ice and kind of just using some off ice stuff to uh, to get you ready and maybe before you get back uh, put the skates back on? Yeah, um, that's probably the biggest one I think uh, that that have changed since uh, uh, turning pro. In, in the sense that uh, you know you don't need to be, be on the ice all summer, and uh, so for me, I, I took a good couple months off and uh, didn't start uh, skating until July. So um, you know, for me, it, it was more uh, getting to the gym, uh, get my body feeling good and and recovered, and uh, making sure that I'm you know, ready to go for for the upcoming season. Is there a way, Travis, to, to mentally prepare? Like, you can get to the gym and your body knows what to do, but is, it, is there sort of a way to mentally prepare for the grind of an NHL season? Well, uh, I mean, I mean, you're, you're put in different situations, but uh, for me, the summer is, is about clearing, clearing your mind and getting a fresh start and, um, you know, not, not overthinking anything uh, moving forward and, and trying to uh, go into camp with, with a good mindset. Uh, getting that contract out of the way was probably a big help in that so that you could get that part, the the business element of the game out of the way so you could just concentrate on A, resting, B, then getting ready for the season. Was it important for you to get that done early? Yeah, I think so. I think for me, um, especially not uh, not being in the league um, you know, too long and, and uh, you know, I didn't want to be waiting out um, you know, too long. I wanted to get back and, and uh, know that uh, you know I was going to be there for, for training camp, and um, so for me that was that was important to get that out of the way and and just uh, know that I could focus on the upcoming season. Other than your agent, did you kind of consult anybody else on um, you know how to handle this RFA process? Because it's obviously 
it's got an enormous spotlight on it right now. A couple of flyer players, too. Ivan Provorov and Travis Konechny, RFA deals uh, are up right now. And you look around the league from Marner and Braden Point. I mean, they're all line A. They're all over the place. Wierenski, uh, Charlie McAvoy. This is a big storyline in the NHL. Is there anybody you consulted? And what kind of advice would you give any guy that still maybe isn't signed that's an RFA? Yeah. Um, you know, I think when I was, you know, obviously in Philly at the end of the year and um, you know, a little bit leading up into the summer, uh, talking to other players and um, getting their understanding of, of uh, you know, maybe them going through it or, um, you know, what what uh, what might come come about it. And, um, you know, I also talked, obviously, with my family. Uh, you know, they're, they're a big, big support for me. And, um, you know, I want to make sure that, uh, you know, that they have a good understanding and, and it can help me out as well. And, uh, obviously, the agent uh, does, does most of the, the heavy lifting so um you know as for other players i think um there's nothing uh you know you know they they don't really have much control i think um for them as an rfa um you know your agent's going to do most of the the work and i think you're preparing for the upcoming season as if you're going to have a contract so um you know it's it until that gets done it's kind of hard to um you know really do anything Travis, is it nice to to have a couple of veterans coming in and Braun and Niskanen that you know you can get some pointers from, get some calmness on the ice in certain situations? Yeah, I think so. I think uh, you know them, their their experiences and and what they've been through, um, you know, both in the regular season and playoffs, and uh, you know, I think that's going to benefit you know a lot of us young guys, and in, in the sense that uh, you know they're going to be able to help us out in, in areas that. Uh, that, uh, you know, we need some help in and, and uh, can kind of take us under their wing and, and show us the way. Obviously, your guys' season ended way way before you wanted it to end with missing the playoffs last year after making it the year prior. Um, so changes come. They came in the season, obviously. Uh, Ron Hextall, that went down early, I believe, in November or December. And then uh, the coaching change to Scott Gordon. But in the offseason, Chuck Fletcher opts to bring in Elaine Vigneault along with Michelle Terrian and uh, Mike Yo to kind of guide this team going forward with uh, Vino as the head coach. In your conversations with, with Elaine, uh, what, do you got, what did you guys talk about? What does he want to see out of your game and progress you to yet another level so that when that contract's up in a couple of years, you got uh, even a bigger number there? Yeah. Um, you know, I haven't spoken with Elaine uh, yet, but I've spoken with, uh, with Mike, and, and he's the D coach. And um, just going over kind of, uh, you know, where I was at last season and, um, you know, making those steps forward and he wants to, you know, help me continue to make that, uh, you know, next step and, uh, developing, um, into an even bigger role and, and bigger player on the team. And, um, so that's exciting for me. And, you know, I'm excited to get working with him and any other, uh, coaching, uh, staff. Is there any aspects of your game, you know, in your exit interviews at the end of the season, they'd say, we'd like you to work on this, maybe a strength in this area. We'd like you to accentuate more and maybe an area that was a weakness that you really used as kind of a focus for you this summer in your training and now that you're back on the ice. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously for me in the summer, I try to work on everything. I think, uh, you know, I can always get stronger. Uh, my shot can always get better. I can, you know, work on a quicker release and, and um, get my shots through from the point and, uh, different areas like that. But I think um, one of the main things for me is being more assertive and, um, you know, my one-on-one battles down low and, and making sure that, you know, I'm competing and, and winning those battles. And, um, you know, if I do that, 
uh, more times than not, you know, I'm going to be on the offensive side, and, and that's where I want to be. So, um, you know, that's kind of the areas that I'm working on right now. This young defensive core that uh, has been coming up for the Flyers, uh, you're part of that, big part of that. You're in the NHL right now. Uh, we saw Phil Myers come up into the NHL last year, and he looks certainly ready and, and fared well uh, as a young player in this league. Ivan Provorov's a guy we've, you know, we've all talked about. Cam York was a draft pick this year. Uh, th- this group of young defenders that you're a big part of, you guys have a camaraderie together. Don't you kind of lean on each other a bit? Yeah, and, you know, we've we've known each other for – um, quite some time now, especially with uh, you know development camps and and then you know uh, you know I played with a few of them in the minor leagues and um, you know just uh, having that uh, kind of friendship I guess as as a group and being able to communicate and talk to each other and know each other so well I think uh, benefits us so um, you know we, we can definitely lean on each other and help each other out when when we need it. One of the storylines last year, Travis, was obviously the amount of goaltenders that you used. There was a lot. Uh, and, and that's and that's difficult for a defenseman because if you guys have a communication and a chemistry with a goaltender as well, just calling out what they see and those kind of things. But eventually Carter does get uh, to the NHL level. You know, 917 save percentage last year fared really well as a young goaltender, as a 20-year-old with, a, with putting up good numbers. Uh, how important is it for you guys to – I mean, nobody's going to go through what you guys went through last year. It, it rarely ever happens with that many goaltenders. But to to have that stability back there with Carter Hart and a guy that you've played with a good amount also in Brian Elliott, that tandem. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously Carter came up and, and uh, did a really good job last season, uh, especially the circumstance that he was put in and then thrown in. And, um, you know, it was incredible to, to watch. And uh, the mature level of, of uh, you know, that kid is, is incredible. And uh, he's going to be a great goalie for, for a lot of years. And, um, you know, it's exciting if I can be a part of uh, all those years. And, and uh, you know, it's uh, something that um, moving forward is, is definitely exciting. As for, for um, Brian, um, you know, he's just such a good uh, uh, leader. And, and um, you know, to have that uh, experience of, of a veteran goalie like, like he is. And, um, you know, when he's on, he's, he's, uh, he plays really well. And, um, you know, unfortunate with, with – uh, the injury that happened to him, but uh, last season. But I, you know, I'm uh, certain that he's going to come back uh, stronger this year and and uh, you know, ready to go. Travis, do you ever give thought to uh, playing in any of the short summer leagues, like the Beauty League or the one in Chicago? Those seem kind of fun. Yeah, uh, we kind of have a little bit of a league around here. It's not quite the same. Uh, we don't got quite the the <laughs> talent that they got in that league, I guess. But uh, you know, we kind of we got a little throw together league around here. Uh, it's fun to just you know kind of uh, let the skill uh, take over and um, you, know, you get to see stuff that you probably don't get to see in uh, you know regular hockey games. So it's it's definitely fun to 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 do. But uh, you know, our league's over now. And, uh, now it's time to, to focus up for, for the season. Well, if you're looking for a skate, our league's still going. Uh, <laughs> our beer league down here, we could use a good defender. I know that for sure. Hey, hey Travis, um, when you guys uh, you know go through that season last year, the inconsistency was a big part for you guys. Obviously, injuries play a part. But when you see the general manager go out and, and they make a big free agent signing and bring in Kevin Hayes, they make the moves to bring in Matt Niskanen, some veteran defenders. Um, is this a sign to the guys on the team that um, – this is a team that can win, needs to win, and needs to take that next step in a big way. Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, I think for us, uh, you know, we got such a good group of core players that, 
you know, are in their primes and, and a lot of good young guys coming up that, that are trying to take that next step. And I think it's exciting. I think, um, you know, for, for him to go out and make those moves, it's, it's uh, now in, in our hands and, and what we do as a group. And I think, um, you know, I think everyone was one sees the, the potential of this group and then what we can do. And, um, you know, like I said, it's, it's up to us what, what we can do with it. Travis, the, the Metro has gotten very tough. I mean, the Rangers did a lot of offseason moves. The Devils have done a lot in the offseason via draft picks and trades. How do you view the where you guys fit in the Metro and how, how tough that it will be this year? Yeah, um, you know, everyone everyone's trying to, to, to keep up and, and make moves and, and get better. And uh, it's going to be a tough division. It, it always has been. And, um, you know, I think we can compete uh, for the division. And I think... Uh, when we look at our roster, um, you know, moving forward, it's, it's uh, like I said before, it's, it's exciting, and um, you know, we're ready to, to take that next step. Uh, you guys are going to start the season off over in the Czech Republic. It's a little different, but that'd be a cool experience for you guys. You guys will get away, and you know, it's a good chance for you guys to bond as a new unit as well. Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, we get that preseason game over there as well, and so we get to spend a little bit, little bit of time over overseas and. I think as a group to, to start the year there um, definitely benefits us in, in the sense that, uh, you know, we get to spend a lot of time early on um, on the road and, um, you know, especially in a different country, in a different uh, um, you know, part of the world. And uh, it's going to be a cool, cool uh, experience for, for us. You might have a pretty good tour guide that knows the good places to go. <laughs> 93 <laughs> still on this roster. <laughs> now, one of those games is a home game. What, what are you hoping to see from the home fans? Just a couple Flyers jerseys? Would that be good? <laughs> uh, well, you know what? we got a couple Flyers jerseys in every road game, so I'm expecting a little more than that. Hey, hey Travis, when you look back at last season, um, th- there was ups, there was downs. You guys went on a good run when Scott Gordon came in and took over. But the highlight of the season, was it that stadium series game and playing at Lincoln Financial Field and that pretty epic comeback against uh, one of the most hated rivals in all of Philadelphia sports, Crosby and the Penguins? Yeah, that was that was definitely a, a fun game to be a part of and a uh, cool experience. And I think the the, the way it ended and uh, with it being against Pittsburgh and, and uh, you know scoring two goals late and then and then in overtime it was uh, uh, pretty awesome and. Um, you know, one of the funnest games I've been a part of. Yeah, it certainly was, and the, and the home fans went home happy that yep, night. Yep. Travis, uh, when are you coming into town? Are you coming in soon to get the guys start to get the player skates going? Yeah, uh, the long weekend there. I'll I'll come back. Uh, I guess so. It's at September second, the Monday. So um, come back then and kind of get ten days before camp and get some get some skates in and uh, get ready to go. What's your impressions of living in Philly? Yeah, I actually really enjoy it. I. Uh, I was in a small town and didn't think uh, the big city was for me, but uh, no, I really enjoyed it. It's a nice city, and uh, I have a lot of fun there. Absolutely. Well, congrats on the contract, man. We're looking forward to the season. Uh, the countdown is on, man. You guys will be in camp uh, before you know it in the regular season. I think it's only like 66 days away, if, That's if, about I, right. if I recall, when uh, you guys will be in the Czech Republic. And everybody's looking forward to it, man. Congrats again on the contract. Have a great rest of your summer, and uh, we'll be watching you on the ice soon enough. Thank you. Thanks for having me. All right, special thanks to uh, Travis Sanheim. Uh, Flyers making his uh, going to be his third NHL season. All 82 games last year. That's impressive. That is impressive. Yeah, he did a nice job. and um, Really good season for him. Boy, he stands in a couple of years, if he continues on his progression, to get paid. Oh, yeah. yeah he's in, he knows it. I think that betting on yourself 
is always a smart move in a, in a league where the cap keeps going up and when the new TV contracts come in. Yeah. He could end up getting paid big time. He could. Look at look at Sean Couturier. You think oh, yeah. Be, you, know, you think he'd be like, man, I wish I was in that right now. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, but I have a lot bigger paycheck than the one that I have right now. And yeah, I'm I don't clearly feel- Clearly outperforming. I don't feel bad for Sean, though. No. All right. Uh, for episode 52, Russ, I came up with an idea, and I said, you know, we could sit here and kind of go through the news and notes, which we did a little bit already. But I figured I had top three on the brain. I saw all these top 20 lists that the NHL Network was doing, top 20 forwards, top 20 yeah, winners, yeah, yeah. top 20 goalies, and you know you can debate the list and what you like and what you don't like. I didn't want to go top 20 because that's insane. So I wanted to go top three, and I sent you a bunch of categories. You did. And I gave you a homework assignment. I completed mine, and you have, uh, you've you've completed yours? I have. Okay. So let's get right into it. Top three categories for episode 52 of the Stick to Hockey podcast, and we're going to get to Mike McKenna here in just a couple of minutes. He was a Flyers goaltender last year, part of that uh Insane carousel, been in the league a long time, AHL, ECHL, great story, and he's a great analyst as well. So we'll talk to him coming up. So let's start with Mike McKenna's position. The top three goalies going into this season. And we the doing NHL. it from best to, to worst in this? I didn't even really order mine. Are I we gonna have, order them or no? Well, I'll give you my top one each time. Okay. But and this isn't based on, you know, what you've done in your career. This isn't based on necessarily just what you did last year. It's ba- it is based on what you did last year and what you're going to be this year Okay. in your situation, because some of these situations have changed, and one of the goaltenders of my top three certainly did. So your top three goalies heading into the 2019-20 season. Vasilevsky, Price, and Bob. And Vasilevsky is the number one. And this sucks, because I absolutely agree with you. <laughs> I went Vasilevsky, <laughs> Carey Price, Sergei Bobrovsky. I did two honorable mentions here, too, for John Gibson and Ben Bishop. I know Gibson is... almost made my list, and, and I can yeah. see Bishop except for the injuries. That's yep. The, yep. That, and that's exactly why I dropped him down as well. To me, clearly the best goalie in the league right now is Vasilevsky. Yeah. Playoffs last year excluded. That was just one of those crazy situations. That's a whole team thing. Yeah, he's going to play a lot of games. He's going to be a great fantasy play, too. Actually, although Carey Price, I think, played in 66 games, and I believe he started 64 or 5 mm-hmm. of those. It's too many. That's why they got Kincaid this yep. year. But Carey Price had the most underrated season considering he's Carey Price. Yeah, and Vasilevsky, they bring in McElhaney, who I think last year, I think I heard Kevin Woodley say this, it was like 12 days between starts for him, and he put up like a 934 save percentage. That is really yeah, hard to do. That is hard to do. So McElhaney goes there. Uh, yeah, I Carey Price too. And Bobrovsky, that's an interesting one because he's going to Florida. Uh, where everybody thought he was going. Although Cam Talbot had weeks in between starts. But anyhow. And didn't perform like any of those three goalies. <laughs> um, and he ends up in Calgary. But that being said, the the Bob one's going to be interesting to keep an eye on. In Florida, you know, this, the $70 million contract, paying a goalie at his age. Now, he can he's still in his prime, but how long can that prime It last? doesn't matter. You have to do it. See, I, I disagree. I wouldn't. I don't know that I would allocate that kind of money to a goaltender. Have to do it. I mean. You, at that age. Still have to do it. I mean. You brought in Quenville at that point. Why did they draft Spencer Knight, though, in the first round? Well, Spencer Knight's not coming next year. It's going to take him three it's to take five. Him seven years? No, but it'll take him three to five to develop, and you don't know if Bob will last seven, and so you meet somewhere in the middle with that. I think it's okay. I think that is a well-laid-out plan, actually. I thought that was a redundant pick, uh, you can't... considering you just signed that guy to that deal. Okay, but what if three years down the line, Bob can't play anymore, and the night's a year away, or he's ready? Like, these things happen. Goaltending is never a guarantee of anything. So, what, no matter what happens there, one of them is a mistake. 
Nobody if Bob is a can't mistake. Play beyond three years, then that was a mistake to give him a seven-year contract at ten mil per. Nobody is a mistake, and my parents told me that me and my brother neither was a mistake. Well, just saying. Well, they lied about one. <laughs> they uh, definitely did. <laughs> All right, top three centers right now in the NHL. Now, this is just we're going to have a def, you know the the full two hundred foot center, the selkie category, if you will. But these are just the top three centers in the NHL, and I, I think we're probably going to be in lockstep here, too. All right. We're, we're going Patrice Bergeron, Mark Scheifele, Sidney Crosby. Well, we are not going in lockstep. There you, you go. Do not have Connor McDavid on your list? Nope. Wait, is, the, is, is this your 200-foot centers? No, but again, Connor McDavid is not great on face-off. So I get that you should oh, have the 200-foot center he thing. He was in on 51% of the goals scored in Edmonton. I understand. He's but the he's, best player on the planet. He is the best scoring guy on the planet, yes. But is he the best center? No, well, not yet. He is. No. I, I, and like, this isn't like really all-around center. That's more of the other category. I mean, Connor McDavid, to me, is the most dynamic player. He is a dynamic league, player. And but the best player in the league, so i got to put him on there. How is he making his team better yet? Well, I mean, if he, imagine if he wasn't there. He's in on, okay. again, 51% of the I know, goals. but I can give you the Ralph Kiner thing. When he led the league in homers, he went in for a raise, and his team told but him, that's not we his can fault. be in last place with you or last place without all you. Right, it's right. not all his fault. I'm just saying all right, let's he's not making players better. All right. That's a part of the position that's not a 200-foot part of it. Okay. How that's about That's part of the intangibles. Nathan McKinnon. McKinnon's great. He didn't make your list. He's really close. I mean, this is a hard list. It, it is. There's a lot of great centers in the league. There's right a now. lot of great centers. So I wouldn't put Bergeron on that list because um, I don't think he does enough offensively. He's hurt too much. But to he, me, he's the perfect hockey player. He's on my other list. But how do they look without him? They are lost without mm-hmm. him. And that line's great. Top two line in the league. I mean, I, I look at it like this. Bergeron to... And look, McKinnon means a lot to Colorado, but they still have Rantanen. They have a little bit more. You take Bergeron away from... The Bruins and Pasternak's really good, but he never leads you for long periods of time. I sort of look at guys that way. Okay, I get it. All right, so yeah, I had McDavid, McKinnon. McDavid was my clear number one. Mm-hmm. McKinnon, and then I had actually a tie with Austin Matthews and Sidney Crosby. Well, Crosby is still my is the number one. Yeah, until until I see evidence that his game has dropped off a significant amount, he's going to be. In I there. mean, Crosby is one of the five best all time. I agree. I absolutely agree. Uh, let's go to the 200-foot centers game before we get to Mike McKenna, and we'll finish our list after Mike. The 200, the you know your selkie guys. To me, this we probably have the same list here. I would think Bergeron's got to be on that list for you, right? Bergeron Couturier the award after him at some point. Yeah, I think they should rename it. Yeah. Honestly, Patrice Bergeron, Sean Couturier, and Ryan O'Reilly. Boom, boom, boom. Riley O'Reilly was my number one. Because of the year he had last year. Yeah, I could say was, Riley O'Reilly's the number one yeah. in that category. I, and if I were going based on health and everything, I would probably go O'Reilly, Couturier, Bergeron. That's fair. And so... I always say, again, and, and this is... I killed the NHL Network for their list because I don't think Couturier was on their top 20. He was not. And what I always say is when you let producers in on the rankings, uh, they're looking at highlights. There are no great Sean Couturier highlights, but yeah. he brings it every game, and he's hard to play against, and he scores, and he scores a lot of dirty goals. Like, there's not a lot of flash that shows up that's great for a highlight, but you know what? He's a tremendous player. Yeah, he really is, and back-to-back 30-plus seasons goal-wise, back-to-back 70-plus seasons offensively, Yeah, once he took on that top-line role, kills penalties. Yeah. 
I mean, takes huge face-offs. Uh, he, he really does it all. He's, He's a pain in the ass on the ice, too. Yeah, and, and, and people look at him and go, well, he looks like he like not a great skater, but he just got a, he's got a strange stride. He does, but he gets the job done. It's kind of a, like a leaning stride, but yeah. he, he is just fine in every aspect of the game. And to me, he's going to end up uh, soon, at some point here, surpassing Claude Drew as the best player on the team. Yeah, and, no question. And Drew's certainly the most skilled and... He's still putting up more than a point per game. He's heading that way, but then there's Frost and Farabee, and we'll see what happens in the future with that. And we're going to get into them in a later question. But let's get to Mike McKenna right now. He's got the Six Degrees of Mike McKenna podcast, former ECHL goaltender, AHL goaltender, NHL goaltender, a a former Flyer, as a matter of fact. College college goaltender. College goaltender. A former, no, not a former, a current metalhead, dare I say. He's had one of my favorite bands on one of his masks, many masks. Mike McKenna joins us right now on the Stick to Hockey podcast. Hey, Mike, how you doing? Too good. Thanks, guys, for having me. Appreciate it. All right, we're talking about top threes today and going around different uh, categories of the NHL, Mike. Give me your top three Pantera songs. (laughs) (laughs) It's hard, isn't it? Boy, you guys are leading off right away with something difficult. That is really tough. Oh, man, where do I start with that question? I'll tell you where Uh, I went. I went... I went uh, the underground from the underground in America and sandblasted skin. I went war nerve, and I went. Uh, what was the other one I did? Oh, uh, shedding skin. Yeah, uh, let's see. I'm trying to think now. When I go to each album, right? So, mouth for war is probably one of them for sure. Uh, strength beyond strength. I like that definitely. one. Yeah. I think strength beyond strength ahead of mouth for war. And then I'm trying to think off of Far Beyond Driven. How about Throws of Rejection? That's a good song. <laughs> There's so many good ones. Yeah. Um, I'm putting you to the test, man. You weren't oh, ready for that. <laughs> I mean, you think about like Slaughtered off of off of Far Beyond Driven, too, is just a ripper. So, yeah. I mean, I, it's hard for me to even pick like from those albums. Really, when you think of uh, Vulgar Display and Far Beyond Driven, those two albums are just tough to top yeah. at all. You know, yeah. you take those two, you sprinkle in a little bit of Cowboys and a little bit of uh, reinventing, and it's a pretty amazing lineup of, of songs and albums from one band. Yeah, and I'll go with Floods, too, for my little ballad, if you will. I can't stand ballads. I would never pick it. I think <laughs> I'm not a ballad. Just that end solo by Dime is outrageous. It is, but it, you could cut out, like, the first three minutes for me. That's uh, the way I am, man. But it's funny, though, like, Cemetery Gates I'm all about, though. Like, I think it's just the riff to it and kind of the build-up. For whatever reason, that song I'm fine with. But some of the other ones that are just super slow, or it's not my thing at all, especially with a lot of other bands. Pantera is better, though, because it's so in- like interesting musically compared to others. Oh, no doubt. The, yeah, the musicianship is off the charts. And Dime, uh, God rest his soul, Vinnie Paul, God rest his soul. Uh, incredible musicians and great, so tight together live. I'm sure you saw them a bunch of times. I saw him once on 99 on OzFest. That was my one chance. And it's a, it's appropriate we're talking about him today, though. I know yesterday was Dime's birthday. Yep. And I had him on my mask when I was with Dallas on the backplate of it. My my best friend draws the backplate for me every year. And when I went to Dallas, I was like, it's got to be Dime. You've got to draw my character as Dime because, one, I mean, I've been a fan of them for so long, but they also wrote the fight song for the Dallas Stars yep. and hosted the cup parties and were intri- intricately tied with that team. So. 
uh, that was a really cool moment to be able to do that. Yeah, they were on floats at the parade uh, when the Dallas Stars won it, I believe, in what, 1999? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mike, what's the turnaround time when you have to get your mask done? I noticed a lot of guys now are um, are wrapping them, but like, if you're putting pressure on your best friend, like, what do you say? I need it in like a week? Less than that? Yeah, I think I got my my gritty mask showed up in like, I don't know, seven, ten days. Okay. They can do them pretty quick, especially for me where my design is pretty much the same. It's it's remained very constant through my career, and I like that. I like that my masks have a lineage to them that you can kind of tell who's in that. Um, I have seen the the wrap thing is new, though. That's only happened in the last couple of years. And yeah. truthfully, that's, it's a smart thing for guys to have as far as like um, – you know, the equipment managers have one or two of those on hand in case somebody gets dealt to you. That makes a lot of sense. But, yeah, seven, ten days maybe. But, you know, you think about these things, and there's all the different colors, and you got to allow it to cure properly, and then it has to be, you know, it could be overnighted, but you have to pad it, and it just kind of takes time. It's the same way with the gear. Like, yeah. It doesn't just fill up overnight. I mean, it, it's got to get made first, which takes a, at least a day or two, and then shipped to the NHL offices cleared by Kay Whitmore if he's right. in the office if he's lucky <laughs> right because there's only one guy doing it and he's also a supervisor for the NHL that uh, is crazy I didn't realize that Mike that it is just one guy for all the masks that flow through well not all of them but Dave, of them. Dave Gunnarsson he did yours right well, well if we're talking masks, no no approval uh, approval oh yeah, yeah that's Kay Whitmore you gotta get the KW yeah yeah for the yeah, approval no. Dave Gunnarsson broke up with me in an email one summer uh he told <laughs> He told like everybody that either wasn't an NHL superstar or to your goaltender that he wasn't going to paint our masks anymore. Uh, and I don't know what happened. Like about six months later, I got another email from him saying he'd love to paint for me again. I was like, dude, you already broke up with me. Like, <laughs> it's not you, it's me. You know, it's kind of what it felt like, and I, I understood his reasons for it, but uh, I hadn't used them since. And and I'm kind of happy about that. A lot of his masks, to me, just kind of all look the same now, and they used mm-hmm. to have a personality to them. I've, I've had Ray Bishop for my last seven or eight out of Michigan, and yeah. and his are awesome. But, yeah, there's one guy that, that signs off on all the gear, and it's Kay Whitmore in the NHL offices. And if you ever see a piece of our equipment or end up with one, you'll see his initials and the date that it's cleared <laughs> uh, on the piece of equipment itself. Yeah, everything's got to be sent through, whether that's a glove blocker, chest chesty, whatever it is. Uh, the KW is on there. That means you made it too, man. Like if you're a guy coming up into the league, like a young guy, and all of a sudden you get the KW, that's like a, that's like a badge, man. It's like, oh, Kate Whitmore inspected my gear. Yeah, I guess so. It also means that everything's got to be street legal, and we always complain about it because inherently we think that we're all getting screwed one way or another with something. We're not. He's doing his best to make sure we're all legal, but it is for everybody, though, that's on an NHL contract, and truthfully, just about everybody on an American League deal, deal too, will have all their stuff go through just in case because the NHL can't have anybody playing that doesn't have their gear approved. I mean, about the only exception to that would be emergency backups. They actually have to have it approved now, too, I'm told. Well, uh, if they do, that means the teams are shelling out coin for it. Yeah. It surprises me. But yeah, I'm buddies case, with the guy in Philly, and uh, do they outfit him with new, uh, new Brian's pads, the whole thing? He's got the chesty, everything. Well, I, I mean... Well, the, uh, Philly can afford to do that. I'm not sure. <laughs> we should give a shout-out here to um, – <laughs> sorry, Mike. We should give a shout-out here to Big John Bates. He should check and make sure he's got the KW on Mike's pants that he bought, his Ottawa pants. There you go. <laughs> so, so Mike, a couple of things real quick to, to get out of the way real quick. Uh, you can follow Mike on Twitter, Mike McKenna 56 and also 
a great follow for anybody during games. Your, your McKenna in-game uh, feed on Twitter is tremendous as well. You break it down, and any of the goaltending enthusiasts, uh, you really give some great perspective on uh, kind of what the goalie's seeing, what happened, when it is his fault, and when it's not his fault, which I think is really important as well. Um, so great job with that. And then the uh, Six Degrees Mike McKenna podcast is awesome. What brought you to do the podcast? It started out because so many people had told me that I should write a book. And I've always been so hesitant about that because I never want to screw up a story. I don't want to make anybody look bad. I don't want to toss people under the bus. Because inherently, those are some of the best stories out there when somebody <laughs> does something pretty compromising, you know? And so my thought process process on it was like, I've got all these friends and people I've played with. And the writer for The Athletic in Dallas named Sean Shapiro wrote an article about me called The Six Degrees of Mike McKenna. And it's how you can basically relate me to anybody in hockey. Within You're Kevin years. Bacon is what you are. <laughs> Essentially, I am. You know, when you look at my track record, you'll know why. But uh, <laughs> I thought, well, that's thing. So it started off as me thinking, you know, I'll interview my friends, people I've played with, and it'll be a fun way for them to tell their story. And we can kind of ham it up about the old days and all that. And it still is, but it's also kind of blossomed into – another full-length podcast where I do career retrospectives with different retired goalies and people around the game. And uh, it's been super cool, man, because basically one person said no to me, and it's because he can't because who he's employed by. So uh, I've gotten to talk to some people I would have never expected and, and gotten a lot of great stuff from them. Mike, last year on Twitter, there was a really human moment where I think somebody had said something to you, because there's always somebody that says something on Twitter, and, and you were talking about, how many times you had to move, and, and I think you had just bought a house in Lehigh, and you were happy that you were there for your family. If you could talk about that, because I, I think people forget about that aspect of, of a, a player's career. Yeah, I never never bought a house in Lehigh. Not, not, not going to buy a house two weeks into moving someplace, but uh, okay. um, but I did. we did get housing there. That was the thing. Yeah. Okay. Basically, last season, I mean, I started off the year in Belleville, Ontario. I was there for a month, and I got called up to Ottawa. Um, Mike Condon allowed a goal, and they basically sent him down because of the goal, and I got called up. So I was in the NHL, and I was there for two months, and I was keeping my head above water, uh, but I was still in a hotel the whole time. So I'd hardly seen my family for mm. those two months. I'd been in Belleville. You know, I was lucky to get them every, like, two weeks or so if I could get there. Uh, then Jan get traded to Vancouver. My family had just shown up to the hotel in Ottawa and they're going to stay with me for six days. And I got traded the next day <laughs> and we'd hardly seen each other. And so I had to pack up the whole hotel, whole hotel room, kick my wife down the road with the kids back to Belleville, not knowing when I'd ever see him again. Uh, subsequently ended up with a flat tire, snowstorm, <laughs> with a dog in the car, Spent time in a Canadian tire getting that fixed. <laughs> uh, kicked it down the road another two months before we ended up getting everybody back together in Allentown, and I was sub subsequently picked up on waivers two days later by the Flyers, ironically enough. Um, you know, man, it was just a chaotic year that we really didn't expect when you're 35 with two kids and you, you think you know what you're getting into and what a team promises and tells you in the summertime, and it's surprising that those things uh, don't hold true midway through a season when you've thought you've met every end of the of the bargain but i tell you what we were so happy though that i end up in an organization like the flyers who takes care of their players and respects their families and and takes the entire person into account it really meant a lot to us to finish out there 
Yeah, no question about it. I know everybody enjoyed your time here, too. You're you're one of those guys that just fits into a locker room right away and, uh, you know, bonds with teammates and stuff like that. And, and you've played in a lot of tandems, obviously. But I want to go I want to go back even before that, because, you know, what drew you to the position in the first place to be a goalie? Did you have an older brother that was a forward? That's how a lot of us get forced into the net, because you got big brother that's playing. He goes, hey, man, you need to get in there. I'm going to fire uh, pucks at you or balls at you or whatever it is. How'd you end up in net? Well, that's one of the four options I found over the years. There's like four main reasons why people become a goalie. And I'm an only child, so your reasoning is not the one for me. Uh, and that was that's number one. So number two is that you're a gear nerd, and that's me to a T. I'd show up early to Blues games. My dad was an off-ice official with the Blues. My grandpa was as well. And they used to be compensated with two-season tickets instead of being paid by the NHL. So I got to see every home game for the St. Louis Blues. And I'd go watch the visiting goalie. I'd memorize what they were wearing. And that's why I became a goalie. You know, there's two other reasons, I think. Another one is because you weren't a very good athlete. You couldn't stay, skate, so they stuck you in the net. That's changed. There's not many of those left. And then the fourth one is that you just didn't want to get off the ice. And I think I was a little bit of that, too. But mostly it was the equipment for me that drew me to the position. And, and to this day, I just I love designing my gear and getting a new mask and the newest technological advancements. I, I just love it. Yeah, there's just like a Halloween aspect to it, like you're putting on an alter ego as well. I, I check three of those boxes. I had the older brothers, two older brothers of five years older that were twins that both played. And then I love the gear and the mask. And like, you know, Friday the 13th was coming out in goalie mask. It was like so cool. <laughs> and we had Bernie with that white mask in Philly. And then the other one that, that you mentioned too is, I never wanted to get off the ice. It's why, it's to me, that position is the most important position in sports because the, the goalie never leaves the ice. Well, consequently, consequently, it also means that you can't hide. Yeah. So that's kind of the... Well, that's one of the perils. When the goalie sucks, you walk into the room after you go, boys, I suck today. And you know what they you say? Know, I know. <laughs> you just... You don't think about those things when you're a kid and you're just watching the game and it looks like it's so much fun. And, and it is, like, even as a kid. And you start to feel a little of that pressure no matter what if you're a competitive person. But when you start to get to higher levels of hockey, it really sinks in. And truthfully, man, some guys just can't cut it. Like, you get to, like, juniors even or college hockey and that pressure just mounts. And for whatever reason, it's it's tough to break through. And at every level, it gets harder and harder. And... You know, some guys that will be comfortable with the American League will never feel that in the NHL. And you just see it. And it's uh, the confidence and the ability to handle the big moments is is what really defines big-time goaltenders. Mike, something that does define any NHL player is when they get drafted. And you were drafted in 2 and I was at that at that draft in Toronto, but I don't, I don't remember your name being called. And you were well, in the it was sixth, pretty late. Yeah. You were sixth <laughs> round, yeah. But what, were you there? And if you weren't, like, what was the moment like for you? I actually was there. So it was in Toronto, and I flew up from St. Louis. And from St. Louis, we'd hardly had anybody drafted. But this year, we had four of us go. And I think we were like the fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth people. I was the first goalie ever from my hometown taken. Oh, that's great. It was a huge moment, you know. And looking back on it, I'm so happy that I went because I was rated, I don't know, somewhere in the fifth, sixth round. Mm -hmm. But back then, there were nine rounds. So it seemed like it was a pretty sure bet that somebody was going to take me. And um, I'm glad we went, you know, because I hearing your name called, being able to walk down, put the jersey on, see the pride in, in your parents' face, and being able to call friends and, and tell them what happened, because back then, the internet wasn't going to help you. Right. 2002, you know, so you're still physically making phone calls to people who are just so excited to know before it hits the paper the next day, and 
uh, just an incredible experience. And I went to the Nashville organization who, even though I never signed an NHL contract with them, it set me up with their goalie guru, Mitch Korn. Oh, that's a good one. You know, Mitch has been a mentor to me ever since, um, truly one of my closest friends in the game. And uh, it, it was invaluable. You know, even though, like I say, I never spent time with them, it made me a connection that put me down the right path for my career. Now, did you train with Mitch in off seasons? And and conversely, what made what Mitch was able to do as a goalie coach? Because it's an interesting job. I mean, you got to be a counselor. You got to have a, a tremendous amount of trust, a great bond with that goalie coach, because they want to force you into uncomfortable positions uh, to strengthen your game and not let you just lean on what you did to get to that point. So, with Mitch, did you train with him beyond that? And what made him so great and effective? And and still to this day, you saw what he did last year with the Islanders. Right. Well, I I, I got to know Mitch mostly at development camps, you know, like the ones you would host in June, mm-hmm. uh, you know, right after the draft, usually early July. So I'd go for a week. I think it would be in Nashville, and we'd skate every day. And Mitchell also asked me, though, to come on the road and work as goalie camps in the summertime. So I got to work as camp in St. Louis and in Cincinnati. And basically I'd spend essentially three, three and a half weeks of my summer with Mitch between those camps. And it just left a huge impression on me. It, 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 it taught me what I needed to do to get my game to the next level because the first thing he said to me, he goes, Mike, you're a big man, but you can't skate. <laughs> and <laughs> I took it to heart because even though I couldn't go and privately train with him in the summertime, he did send me to a guy named Chris Economo, who's actually out in the Colmar uh, Hatfield area in Philadelphia. And I went to e- I went to Econ and skated with him for 17 summers after that, and he was has been the absolute rock to my game. Uh, to my mentality in the sport, to my belief set, one of my best friends, truly. And I've been so lucky to have him there. And, you know, for the last 10, 12 years, whatever it's been, I've been coming to Philadelphia to train with him just outside on the west side of town. Let's unpack that for a second, because people listening right now, maybe that didn't play the position, will say, well, Mitch Korn told you you couldn't skate. Why do you need to be able to skate? My son wanted to be a goalie when he was coming up, you know, through might and squirt. And I said, no, 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 no. And he'd say, why not? I said, because you got to learn how to skate great to be able to play the position. So tell people why being a great skater is so beneficial to a position where you seemingly don't stride and skate. Because it's a different type of skating. You know, my, my grandpa and my dad had the wherewithal to try to get me to play forward or defense for a couple of years before they let me go on the net full time. I did that for a couple before they finally gave way and let me hop in there. And I'm glad that they did because I at least learned how to actually skate, but I wasn't a very efficient goalie skater. And that was my problem is Mm -hmm. that no one had ever really taught me how to skate within the confines of the crease, to be short and powerful in your movements, stop, start, you know, be effective. And for a long time, people thought just you need to be a great skater meant a goalie should be able to fly to the blue line. And that's not the case. You know, our, our skating is based on precision and quick, sharp, tight movements, uh, and being very spatially aware, integrating with your posts, these type of things. And this was all a foreign language to me before I got to Mitch. And, and a lot of his uh, background in it came from the old era of being a great skater around the crease. And then him learning with guys like Dominic Hoshik, who was an amazing goalie skater, and other people through the Buffalo organization before he got to Nashville. And, and there with Tomas Walkun, who was an amazing skater. And so I kind of laid the groundwork for what I knew I needed to work on to be successful. Mike, uh, I was at Game 6 of the Stanley Cup last year, and even though I grew up in New York and I am a Met fan, I put all the St. Louis stuff 
aside from the Cardinals and was really pulling for the team and really enjoyed the city. And I'm kind of wondering, what was your thoughts? Because you watched all those games. What was your thoughts going into that game and hoping that they would clinch in, in their city? I wasn't hoping. I just was happy to watch good hockey. You know, I, that fan aspect goes away after a while. Yeah. You know, I grew up a Blues fan, but I've been paid by 15 different NHL organizations <laughs> at this yeah. point, which is probably a record-setting thing. I do still have the hometown attraction to the Blues and that I hope they do well. I'm glad my friends got enjoyment out of it. I'm so happy for the city to win. But I didn't really have that feeling, you know. I mean, my okay. people were almost lighting their houses on fire with fireworks when they won the <laughs> thing. And I was just sitting there with a smile on my face going, this is really cool. I'm really happy right now. But in any case, it would have been great for them to do it in, in Game 6. But I think it almost was more apropos for them to win it in Game 7, force that last game have this huge celebration when they get back and they'd been underdogs all season long. And it actually led to a really cool moment in St. Louis sports history. And I'll contend that the blues winning the cup is the biggest moment in sports history in St. Louis to the day I die. But, you know, they filled the enterprise center, which holds 20,000 people. Mm -hmm. And then they filled two thirds of Bush stadium next door, which holds 50. So you've got 50 something thousand sports fans Half of them are inside. The other half are getting rained on, poured on in the stands, watching on the big screen, all cheering together, more people outside, a parade of however many hundreds of thousands. Just, I mean, just incredible. And it just is a great uh, barometer for what sports can do for a city to bring it together. It's true. And I and I was in Boston for Game 7. But after 6, I saw Keith Kachuk in the elevator. And I got to tell you, he was dejected. But he also knew that they could win the next game. Like, he was just like... Boy, this would have been great, but he was like, but it's still like, you could tell he thought it still was going to happen. Yeah, and the more I talk to people associated with it, that was the feeling throughout the whole organization. They've been so good at bouncing back after a tough game. They're better on the road, too. Yeah, yeah, and and you know, a lot of that led to Jordan Bennington. You know, he had highs and lows in his games, but those games where they needed a bounce back, where they had to win when the chips were down... He was money, man. And that first period in Game 7, he took it and oh, they yeah. ran with it. And I, I actually talked about uh, this with Ray Barilli on my podcast, on Six Degrees, with he's the athletic trainer for the Blues. And it ended up he gave me all kinds of great insight into the run and just how Craig Berube was able to control that locker room and keep them focused and water off a duck's back. You know, we're just going to go in the next game and – it was amazing to hear those insider perspectives because you could really see it come through and how they played. And, and the one thing about Bennington is I am a prospect guy and I have a prospect show on Sirius. So I follow them closely and every year I would talk about Bennington and every year he would be buried in the organization because Jake Allen was there and other things were going on. But I give Bennington great credit when they tried to send him to the ECHL again and he was like, no, no, I am not doing this again. So they loaned him. So they loaned him, and at least, Providence, yeah, in yeah. Providence, and he, and he really, that really helped him. I think it helped open the eyes to the organization, too. Yeah, but that was a goofy circumstance. And it I was. I don't mean to, to disagree with you here, but I think we need to give full perspective so people understand what happened there. Basically, the Blues were left without a full-time American Hockey League affiliate that right. season. They were the only team in the NHL that didn't have one. So they only had one spot in the American Hockey League for a goaltender, and it was for Billy Husso who was deemed the next guy, you know, ahead of Bennington. So uh, he was left without a home, more or less. And he got lucky that Subban was claimed by Vegas so that there was a spot available in Providence, and it worked out tremendous for him. Um, So, you know, refusing that demotion, 
ballsy play, but definitely played out because he was by far an American League goalie at the very least. I mean, and you see what he's done in the NHL now. Yeah. So, you know, sometimes you got to be willing to make those calls. Like I've I've had one or two in my career that if we wanted to talk in depth, where I had to make some big decisions, and and sometimes you know there's a risk associated with it, but. It worked out for him. It worked out for the Blues in the end. Yeah, no question about it. Just go back real quick. The, the way Craig Berube handled the overtime loss to San Jose with the very clear hand pass and move that team forward was all you needed to know about a coach having control of his locker room. He didn't panic, and it, and it pervaded the whole locker room, and they were able to go on and get past San Jose and eventually win the Cup. Uh, when you talk about Jordan Bennington, uh, are you sold on him going forward, Mike? Because, uh, you know, he gets to the league at 25. We know the magical run, and we've seen a lot of goalies come into the league, catch it, catch the wave, ride it, but it's not sustainable maybe long-term for their future. I'm sold on him as an NHL goaltender for sure, and I, I'm sold that I think he can perform over stretches of time because he's shown that he can do it at every level up to that. You know, he won a Memorial Cup, so he carried the male major junior. He played really well in the ECHL for a year. He went to the American League and had solid numbers and was better than his goalie partner a lot of years, despite whatever the organization's perception was of him. He even went to Providence, a team that wasn't his own, and he was an American League All-Star. So none of this stuff was too surprising for me building up to the NHL. But as you say, you know, you just have to see how somebody can carry it. And that team was rolling when, when he got there. You know, they started to play better once they fired Mike Yo. And they took on Barube, and then Binner shows up, and he starts to play really well. I actually saw his first game. I was backing up for the Flyers, and yep. he was against us in Philly. Shut out. Yep. And, you know, you could just see that they were riding this confidence. But the true test is going to be next season when, the, when they hit the wall, because every team eventually does. And what happens if the team doesn't start off great off the start? Mm-hmm. Can, he, can he pick them back up, and can they ride him again? That'll be the true test. But I, I do think for sure that he's – He's going to prove to be a solid number one goalie in the league, I would think. Uh, but we can always be wrong. I just, I hope we're not because I like seeing guys be successful. I, I can't stand rooting against anybody. Well, the, the one thing with him, if you know, he he's a, a bit of a firecracker, if you will. You know, he'll mix it up with other players on the other team. He's an emotional goaltender. Well, he had a remark in the Stanley Cup. I think it was to Marshawn that he said in the press conference, and I thought it was pretty good to show that. A, he was loose, but B, he has that little bit of attitude. Yeah, I would say my advice to him, and far be it for me to give advice to him, was maybe guard that a little bit <laughs> as a goaltender. I don't know. I don't know, man. I, I, I think that whatever you're comfortable as as a person is who you need to be. Right. You know, be yourself. When you start telling people to change themselves, that's when things get wacky. And some goalies have played fiery and won Stanley Cups. Other guys have not had a pulse. Some guys have been complete <laughs> weirdos. You take your pick. I don't think there's one rubric, though, where it fits. And he's always had that. Like, he, he had a fight in the American League last year. He's had a couple of strange things throughout his career that you've seen happen. Uh, nothing surprises me. But, honestly, I like it when guys play with a bit of chip on the shoulder. Yeah, I me know too. For me, like, the games where somebody would run me or teams would be chirping me or I'd get frustrated with them in some way were always my best games. Really? Because it just it heightened me, my – my sensory just went into hyperdrive to where I was just so focused and wanted to beat those guys so bad that I almost forgot about playing goalie and it made me looser, you know? So it can go both ways with some. Some guys it'll toss them right out of the building and, and for others they can go the other way and run with it. Well, I, I can't think of a better time to transition to a guy that you were in tandem with here in Philadelphia and a young goaltender in Carter Hart who's basically had, you know, you know, coach uh, sports uh, counseling and 
everything. He's got every technical ability. He's a physically just impressive goaltender at 20 years old, mature beyond his years. Tell us what your what your time was like with Carter Hart, what your impressions are, and what you see for him going forward, Mike. He's just so incredibly gifted in what he does. and It's almost annoying, I, isn't it? I, well, yeah. I mean, but, <laughs> but he's worked for it. There's, yeah, sure, yeah. I mean, he's also had the resources to do it, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, I never had that as a kid. We didn't have goalie coaching. You know, we, we went to a guy around here who played in the early 80s who taught us skate saves, and not nothing wrong with that in the early 90s, but it didn't lead me to be a butterfly goalie today. You know, yeah. it gave me foundation, but... Uh, I mean, Carter's been training for this, I think, he was, since he was eight years old, and he's an absolute goalie machine, you know. So um, the technical side of it, it's all there. The mental side's all there. Uh, I just want to make sure that he's, if I could give him any advice, it would be just stay loose, man, and enjoy it because it's it's a fun sport, you know, and that's when you play your best. But it's a kid who's he's had big success on the big stage with Team Canada uh, with Major Junior, so he knows what it's like to play in those. Nothing seems to phase him. And it's kind of similar to Bennington, though. You're, when you're really going to see the true test is when things start to go wrong, how he reacts to it, how he how he plays through a full season. Because it's one thing, like you said earlier in this interview, to, to play a 20-game stretch and catch lightning in a bottle. It's another thing to carry the mail for 60 games through an NHL season when you're 21 years old. So... He has all the tools to do it. I, I sure hope he does because I know everybody in Philly has been pining for for somebody they can tie the wagon to here for a long time in net. Um, but you got as good a prospect as you will ever have in him, and, and I hope he leads the city to a bunch of success down the road. Yeah, you, cu- you just mentioned it, too, because you know the lineage of goaltending in Philadelphia and how it's, I guess, been uh, the Achilles heel, for lack of a better term, since Hextall Part 1. You, know, you have Bernie and DePelli and then the Hextall and that's been the thing. So he, he not only has the weight of the team's future on his shoulder currently, but he's got a lot of past there as well. In your time with him, did, did he ever express uh, that he was cognizant of that? Or is it just something? Because I've talked to him a bunch of times, and it's basically for him, it's I control what I can control. I can't control any of that. Yeah, that's the mantra. You know, that's the you've heard that from Braden Holtby, who's essentially uh, the predecessor to his mindset. They both work with the same sports site guy. Right. And it is, you know, it's being present and just worrying about what you can. And it is tough in a market like that, though. I mean, it's almost like the fans are looking for a reason not to like you. I remember when I got picked up off of waivers, and one of the first things I got on Twitter was, go away, we don't want you. I'm like, whoa, hey. Welcome welcome to Philly. I'm like, I guess I'm officially in here, you know. I've been been kicked in the junk already, you know. But uh, in any case, though, I was like, it's – it's an opportunity to rewrite history, though, and I think he knows that. And he's a good enough goaltender that, you know, he's never going to have to worry about getting into it with the media or anything crazy like that because the media is going to do what it does and the fans are going to do what they do. And you know what, though? If, if you play and you perform for the fans in Philly, you're going to be a hero and a legend. And look at Bernie. I mean, jeez. Yeah. Bernie Perron's out living on a yacht, loving life. You know, things are great. So, um, he's a hero in that city, and it'd be cool if Carter could reach that status someday too. Mike, when things aren't going well, how much does the goalie coach help you? What 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 do you do as a goalie? Want to get from the goalie coach to sort of like get you back on track? Well, they are your conduit to the coaching staff and to the rest of the organization. You know, they're the middleman, and that's what's so unique about a goalie coach. You touched on it earlier with Mitch Corn. And that's really what he does so well. He's known kind of as goalie Yoda, right? And mm-hmm. 
the Flyers are really lucky to have a guy named Kim, Kim Dillabaugh. Right. role. But that's what you're looking for. You're looking for feedback that's constructive, that's going to help you. And you're also looking for someone who can read your own personality because we're all different as human beings. And one size fits all doesn't fit all of us. And so when you have somebody who's very skilled in what they do as a goalie coach, they can cater to what you need. And for myself, I needed feedback. I needed video. I needed constant uh, affirmation into what I was doing and what I could do better. I was always searching for that. Some guys, they don't want it. And it's it's up to them. It's up to the goalie coach to figure out what's best for each guy. Now you say you need a video. Were you looking for video of you and maybe your technical aspects of your game, your post integration, you know, your reads and those kind of things? Or were you also looking at video of uh, shooters from the opposition, uh, shootout attempts and those kind of things? Because sometimes some goalies don't want to see what a guy does in a shootout because then you lean and you could really look foolish. Yeah, I wanted to see my own game. That's what I was most concerned with. Um, I'd want to see, like you say, different specific things, but I'd just want to roll through my clips and see if there was anything glaring to me that had been become kind of problematic or something I could improve on. Um, conversely, going the other direction, when it came to other teams, I would never scout a shooter just based on, you know, where's this guy going to shoot or what does he like to do? I didn't like to do that because, as you alluded to, you can get locked into something, especially in a shootout, because if somebody enters the zone and you're expecting one thing and you're sitting on it and they do something else, you're fried. So I always loved to be loose in shootouts when I had that chance. But the one thing I did like to see from opposing teams and I do like to have readily available uh, is power play, especially. That's one thing where I felt if I knew, if I know that there's a tactical advantage that I can gain, that I know where they like to receive their one or two premium shots from, that's an advantage for me. So I always do love to get video on the power play and really study that going into a game. Yeah, how they set up their screen on a high point shot or something like that, so you know to lean short side, or, and you're communicating that with your defenseman as well. Uh, Mike, uh, what's next? What do you got going on? I mean, you'd be a great broadcaster. You're doing the podcast, Six Degrees. It's a great podcast. Um, boy, it sounds like you'd be one hell of a goalie coach. I mean, what what is next? Are, are you training for this season? What's 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 in the near future and long term for you? Well, you put the, put some roots down for that family. Uh, well, that's the first and foremost. Uh, every decision I'm making coming into this season is based on my family and what's going to be right for us. And you know, we're getting late into the season here, so obviously it's probably um, probably kind of obvious what direction I'm leaning with things. Um, I haven't ruled anything right now or announced anything kind of up in the air but uh goalie coaching to me would have to be absolutely the perfect scenario it doesn't hold a whole lot of interest just purely because you're on the ice every day and moving around you're doing everything that you used to do as a player anyway um it just doesn't hold that same feel broadcasting man i'd love it i I just think that coming out of the sport being able to the guys and be on the other side of it would be the coolest thing and there's been so many goalies from Darren Pang to Jamie McLennan to Kelly Rudy, Corey Hirsch, Greg Millen take your pick, you know, these guys have all done a great job as broadcasters I'd love to do it, Uh, I'm going to keep doing the podcast this year no matter what Uh, but it all, like I say it all just depends on my family, whatever's the right fit for us is what I'm going to seriously look at and and have some fun with it. Yeah, the one thing too, and I contend this to Russ on the podcast. I contended on my radio show. Nobody sees the game better than a goalie because everything's True. in front of you. You know what I mean? You, That's right. I, I mean, you really, you see the whole thing and, and every how everything develops 
leaving your zone, entering your zone, what are actual real threats and what aren't. And that's one of the things you provide on the on on Twitter when you do your in-game. You know, I, I know there was a specific last year um, where there was a goal given up, it may have been by Bennington, where the, the, the guy who shot the puck, his stick was touched by the opposition stick, and you broke down why that that save is so hard because the read is off the stick in the body, and you think it's going one way, and then as soon as it touches that opposition stick, the puck's not doing what the read is telling you. That's exactly right. I was actually a goal on Marc-Andre Fleury against the San Jose Sharks. Yep. may have been game six, I believe, and I think it was Thomas Hurdle that scored it. He just threw an absolute hoper at the net, and two sticks clawed. Fleury doesn't expect it to, and it's in the net. And because it's from far away, he looks bad on it. Right. And it's so, because nowadays, if you get scored clean on any shot from outside, like the top of the circle or at the top of the circle, you're an absolute loser, right? Mm-hmm. You're just an awful goaltender. Yeah. Whereas, like, 10 years ago, before all these composite sticks came in, that didn't happen nearly as often, you know? So the level of the, the, level of the players, the level of the shooters has risen equally to the level of goaltending, and it's. It's made it tough, you know. I have to be the goalie lawyer sometimes on Twitter to try to defend everybody. <laughs> no, you're defending the union. I mean, the thing about it, too, is I've talked to so many goalies about this, experienced it myself. When a guy flubs on a shot and it beco- a fastball becomes a changeup and it goes in and you yell at the guy going, would you shoot the freaking puck hard? You know, it drives you crazy. Yeah, that might be uh... – it might be a beer league thing when that happens. I don't know. Oh, it is. Trust me. There, but, uh, yeah, guys in the NHL don't miss on those. They don't whip them, but what does happen, though, is little deflections and things. So you still get the same effect like that. And like that goal I was talking about on Flurry, he was reading glove high. I could tell clear as day, and I think that's where Hurdle was shooting the thing. And because of the contact between the sticks, it ended up going right above his pad. So yeah. he's already initi- initiating an upward movement, and the next thing you know, it's right above his pad, and he can't get down in time. And mm-hmm. that's... That's goaltending, man, but if you've ever played between the pipes, you know what it is. You know what that feeling's like, but it's really hard to explain it to people that have never done it before. Yeah, your body locks and you can't go that way, and it's, it is horrible because you know everybody goes, boy, that was a laugher. Yeah. <laughs> but, oh, yeah. But, but, but it happens to everybody, and to go full circle, that's why uh, you know when you play that position, you're a man on an island, and if you're not any good, you're certainly going to catch a lot of the blame. You can't just uh, you can't hide like a winger or a, a no. center can hide or anybody else. Hey, Mike, uh, the podcast is great. Six Degrees, Mike McKenna. Uh, you can find it on iTunes. Uh, subscribe to it there, as I have. It's a great listen, and I know you're putting out a lot of episodes, and we look forward to hearing more. Uh, your stuff on Twitter, the in-game stuff is tremendous, and we appreciate you doing this, man, and uh, hope to talk to you again down the road. We really appreciate it. Oh, it's a ble- pleasure, man. Anytime talking hockey, goaltending, it's always a ton of fun. I appreciate you giving me some love on that stuff because it is a labor of love, man. Like, I haven't made a cent off that podcast. It's truly been for the fun of it. And uh, there's more stuff coming. I'm doing them every week. And so I appreciate doing it. Thanks again. I'd love to, love to chat with you again down the road. There you go. Mike McKenna. What, what a great conversation that was. Tremendous. I talked to him for I learned, hours. I learned a lot. I did. I, and So you're part of the goalie union now. No, I'm not. But But I have to talk about prospects and sometimes mm-hmm. goalies. And I want to know as much as I can because I can't get in depth like that. I didn't play the position, but you know what? I learned something. Yeah, he's a great guy, and uh, I think broadcasting is certainly in his future. Oh, yeah. So we appreciate Mike McKenna, Six Degrees to Mike McKenna, uh, for joining us here on the Stick to Hockey Pod. A couple more things here real quick, and we'll have to finish our top three list on on a subsequent episode. But yep. All right, so we did goalies. We did uh, centers. 
200-foot centers we did. We, had, we both had Bergeron, Couturier, and Ryan O'Reilly. Top three wingers in the NHL. Top three wingers in the NHL. <clears throat> Stalling because I'm getting my list. Uh, Nikita Kucherov, Mitch Marner, Vladimir Tarasenko. Oh, you and Vladdy. Okay, that's a kind of a sexy pick. I went Kucherov, number one. Yeah. Uh, 128 points. Patrick Kane. Okay. And Mitch Marner. Okay. So uh, th- there's really no argument there. All, no, the all only reason great. I went Tarasenko is... The release. He, yeah, the release is great. But when, when things weren't going right... He still was having a really good season. I know he only had 68 points, but that was a hard 68 points on that team with the lousy play they had for a while. And not only that, but he's actually picked up his play in other zones. Yes. And, and done a lot if better If he's job. playing right, he's almost impossible to cover. Yeah. All right, let's hit two more, actually. All right, let's and do since it. since we're on that, most dangerous goal scorers, top three most dangerous goal scorers in the league right now. Top three most dangerous goal scorers. Uh, i got to find that on my list because that was further down. All right, I had Alex Ovechkin, Nikita Kucherov, Elias Pedersen. Elias Pedersen. Wow. Well, how many guys headhunted him because they couldn't cover him? Yeah. No, he's tremendous. It's that's really good. I'm not arguing with your list. No, my, no, it's okay. You yeah. my, could argue. My, my most three dangerous goal scorers, are, and it's in particular because of the shot they possess. Ovechkin's he's obvious. number one. You have to have him on there. Uh, he gets 51 again last year. Patrick Line. I couldn't put Line. He didn't have a great year last year. Yeah, but I still. But I. It was most he dangerous. Is, the problem with Patrick Laine right now is he is just a shot, mm-hmm. and he almost doesn't vary the shot. Yeah, and he's become predictable in his spots. A little bit. Um, but the other guy is Austin Matthews. Yeah. It's that's the most a, underrated part of his game, yeah. and it's well thought of. Listen, I can't argue with it. His ability to pull the puck into his body, into his feet, and release it with the velocity and accuracy that yeah. he does— is a goalie nightmare. Yeah, he could draw it back. Really, you can't read it from there. Even at the young age, he I saw that mm-hmm. I saw him play very young on Long Island, and I saw he was able to draw the puck back and have full control over it and full full goalies. He still does it. Yeah, it's amazing. All right, last category right. before we wrap up episode fifty-two. Top three coaches heading into the twenty nineteen season. All right, I had a lot of internal debate on this on a lot of levels. I'll go with the three, and then we'll go with who's number one. But Barry Trotz, Joel Quenville, Mike Babcock. Okay. Wow. Okay. I went Barry Trotz. He was my number one just mm-hmm. because he, what he was able to do with that team last year, shaving off more than a goal per a game. I think 103 goals yeah. less than the season before. For yeah, that's pretty massive. That's insane. I think I put Cooper on the list. Okay. Um, and I had and I put Craig Berube on the list for the job that he did last year. I can't put Berube on the list because I need to see what he does with the team starting flat-footed. Almost the same thing that McKenna said mm-hmm. for a goalie starting off a season. Yep. I got to see that. Yeah, I had two honorable mentions to it, but Bruce Cassidy and Pete DeBoer. Yeah, I can I mean, see Cassidy's that. Cassidy's done a real nice job there. Uh, Pete DeBoer always does a nice job. The one of the guy I was considering, about Bill Peters. I like Peters. I'm going to tell you, though, number one on that list for me is still Quenville. Mm -hmm. He is. I think he will come in, and he will still be the best coach. All right. One last one. All right. Because we're on coaches. i got to do this. The top three coaching candidates to be fired this season. i got to see if I actually— Russ Cohen's list on this one. i got to see if I put my list on that. You know, that was something I left out. But off the top of my head, I would go— you got to think of situation, too. I know. Ten years, a part of it. You want me to give you mine? Go ahead. Give you yours first. John Tortorella. Yeah. Not that he's the number one. Bruce Boudreaux, because they're going to have a new GM. Yeah. And the owner wants to win. And then I had a a, a tie with Jeff Blashill and Peter LaViolette. I, I had... I, I considered Paul Maurice, too. 
Laviolette is definitely on my list. Maurice is definitely on the list. Boudreaux, I think, like, like it's a guarantee. So it's like, yeah. it's almost not even fair having him on the list because there's mm-hmm. not even a GM there yet. Yeah. So he probably only gets a couple of months, and if it's not going great, they're going to probably can him. Yeah, and it might not go great there in Minnesota. I could see Laviolette, it's kind of at that point, that tipping point with players. Yeah. Where it's like, No, okay. I think Laviolette's on a short leash at this point. Yeah. And, they, you know, they get Johansson. Yeah. They've gotten rid of Subban. Yeah. They've, they've made some moves, and they got to move it forward, and we'll see how that plays out. Well, Russ, that was quite the episode of the return. Good way to start off. Yeah, the Stick to Hockey podcast. That's episode number 52, and we'll be bringing them to you going forward. We're looking forward to it. And, again, follow the uh, podcast at Stick to Hockey Pod on Twitter. Uh, also follow Russ at Sportsology. Go to Sportsology.com for all of uh, Russ's materials there as well, including some books and all kinds of uh, great information that you can glean there, except for the Mets stuff. <laughs> and um, and uh, we'll be back next time. Everybody, enjoy your preparation for the NHL 2019-20 season. Your last days are upon us. The boys will be back on the ice soon enough. Have a great one, everyone.